Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure if you can do this homeschool thing, if you are a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do, or if you are a homeschool mama looking for connection and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com, and I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey. So let's turn our homeschool challenges into our homeschool charms. Today, I get to introduce you to Norm Quantz. Norm is a counselor, relationship expert, trauma specialist, and author of two books, Power and Control and Trauma No More. He graduated in 1989 with a Master of Arts in Counseling, He was semi-retired in 2013 from his private practice, but carried on part-time as an on-site trauma specialist, which he started in 2003. Outside his counseling practice, his biggest joys in life are writing, spending time with family and friends, golfing, traveling, and table games. He says about himself that he's a compassionate, persistent truth seeker who finds contentment in the deep, substantial changes that are possible through the persistent pursuit of wholeness as he impacts his world for good. And in my personal experience, he is one of the very few in my life that has had as large an impact on my sense of wholeness and truth and boundaries. So I especially am honored to interview him here. Welcome, Norm. I am truly honored to have you here. You are a significant person in my life because you are one of two people that had a profound influence on me in recognizing that I'm a person outside of who I thought I was supposed to be for everybody else. You really did start the discussion for me on boundaries in my life. Well, thank you, Teresa. Yeah, I I kind of feel, you know, so many things going on today in my own world, but I truly feel like, wow, this is like full circle, being able to chat with you, no less about a book that is absolutely in my area of experience in life, all about trauma, and how, for me anyways, as a homeschool mom, how I am going to engage my kids going to reparent myself at the same time that I'm parenting my kids and actually deal with those trauma issues and learn to put them away. And your trauma guide speaks very succinctly to everything that I've been engaging over the last number of years and is exactly what really I think most people need. But before I jump right into that, I just want to say, my husband says, Jim says, congratulations on your hole in one. That is a very big event for your lifetime. It meant nothing to you that I didn't get it. I actually got more more hits on my Facebook with that than than the day my book was published. (laughs) Yes, classic. Well, I'm so glad golf courses are open in your area. So this is going to be your first of many hole in ones, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Right so tell on. me about your family before we get started. I am usually inter- interviewing homeschool moms, and I know you're not a homeschool mom, but back when I knew you 
a few years ago, I can't even remember how many, it was 2004. So quite a few years ago, um, you had two grandsons at the time. And I remember you marveling at one of your grandsons and all of the really intricate things that he was building, which sounded like he was going to grow up to be an engineer. Uh, Not to get distracted here, but I still think of our little project that we had back on the acreage when I wrote about it in that book on power and control where they, um, they were outside the garage. They had built a pile of sand uh, and, and were putting rocks for a stream down the side of the sand pile. And um, they had all the rocks in place and they were pouring a little cup of water on it. And they came to Grandpa and said, Grandpa, we need more water. Uh, and they're just little gaffers, you know. Yeah, we need, need more water. Can you get us a pail of water? So I got a one-gallon bucket of water and I poured it down there and I wanted to pour it gently so it would actually use their little rock stream right and they said no we want you to pour it faster because we want to find out what's more powerful rocks or sand or water rocks or water and I said okay so I got a five gallon bucket full and I just dumped it on and of course the rocks went everywhere and their conclusion was in their experiment was Water is more powerful than rocks. (laughs) It's interesting, those little moments where we see them do that and you go, okay, what are they doing? You know, but it's like a science experiment, really. And then, yeah, they garner these things, they kind of gather them together. But of course, they don't necessarily stay in that science experiment when they grow up to, you know, do their professions. But everything that they do will probably reveal to you where they were going to go right from the beginning, if we can nurture them there. Yeah, it's it's like um, uh, being careful not to poo-poo their idea, right. to cooperate with them. They initiated it. That's wonderful. Uh, to be able to then participate in their excitement with the results and then make an application. And they made the application even as young as they were. They made that application uh, without me having to, uh, as I remember it, but my memory's a little weak, so <laughs> I might have got the story wrong, but I like to remember it this way. So, <laughs> Yeah, I have seen a lot of those connections where I see them little, the way they engage in different things, even what they are attentive to, or if they're attentive to people, or if they're attentive, you know, if they prefer just reading on their own, it actually all bears out later. It's amazing. Absolutely. And, and the tone of voice that you use, um, you know, whether you're having a bad day, you know, whether, whether things are falling apart in another department, when you come and attend to them, they're reading your language, they're reading your body actions. And, you know, uh, it was only like uh, five minutes out of my day. I was busy, but I was there and I was able to participate with them in that moment of excitement so and you know they they've remembered that for years they Mm -hmm. still talk about it so uh you know it's amazing how little Teresa how little involvement in little things means so much to them yes you know I I think of my kids where uh I was uh while I was getting my graduate studies um I, I was working part-time in my studies, going to classes. I had four other jobs going at the same time at times. 
Um, and one of the times during a nine month period, I was uh, managing a restaurant and uh, I was in those nine months, I was only home to eat a meal two times. The rest of the time they would eat at the restaurant with me. And I thought years later that this has been a time when I have like abandoned the kids and, and they've, they've felt abandoned from their dad because of how much investment of time I was doing that. And, and they answered to me, dad, we've both, them, we've never felt abandoned from you during that time. We, we felt connected with you. And as we talked about why, and that is when they were there, they were my full attention while they were there on the times we had, there were times when they couldn't be around me for their activities, but the times that I was there, my attention was with them and they felt like they were valued. And so a huge, a huge message to parents. And that is, you might have very little time to spend with them or each one, but when you do be present, right? that's the message. I think as homeschool moms, because we are often, I don't want to say always with them because we are actually not always with them as they get older and they want to go do their things. But this year we're with them a whole lot more as everyone has been. And we actually need to create boundaries, coincidentally, around time so that we are actually separate as well. Because um, when you are spending so much time with them, you can actually, at least my experience with kids in general, is they always have needs. And there's always something else that they want to talk with you about. And to actually separate yourself to provide your own quiet and your own alone time is actually really, really tricky to do. Yeah, but can I make the application for for those who are with their kids all the time, like homeschoolers? Yeah. Where it, the boundary that you're setting, and that's a that's almost an overused word these days because it, it becomes uh, used in a staccato way, like a boundary. Well, here's my boundary, so I'm gonna now. Uh, you, you can't talk to me or you've got to do this or, you know, uh, it gets too staccato and not enough blending. But if you think of it in terms of what you actually have, uh, what's most important for them for now, for this moment, make that your focus for the moment and then when there's something else that's important, whether it's for you or for them to be doing, then we're not trying to make that connection all the time, feeling as if if we don't, we're abandoning them. Right. So then we don't have that guilt. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, if you take my example with the, you know, with that nine months thing, um, there knowledge of my presence with them in those moments are what they cherish and remember as being the main relationship summary that they have about our relationship. Right. Where And, and that's very true. Even when you're immersed <laughs> in, with your family, if you want to put it that way, the immersion of your family. Uh, some I've seen some parents who literally 
let their kids dictate when they pay attention to them and when they don't. And to me, I think that's very disservice to them. Um, that actually creates an emboldenedness with them. Talking about power and control, it emboldens them to believe that they are more important than they really are. Mm. So the issue is not about, uh, the issue is a balanced understanding of who you are. It's not that you're not important and it's not that you're all important. You're not God and you're not a slave, right? But you are who you are. And there is a balance to it. There's a time for you to have attention and a time that you need to also pay attention to other people's needs. And that balance is, well, it's a it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong journey, right? But it's, uh, it's important as kids grow. Especially, and to tie it in from what we were talking about before, especially when we haven't learned boundaries ourselves, when we don't have a strong sense of ourselves. And I mean, I can, can, really tie in both of your books in this discussion because if you start with a place of that not having a strong sense of yourself and assuming that when people need you therefore you're available and then you homeschool then you are what you know asking your child what do you want because I will give you whatever you want whenever you need it and yet though it seems to be sort of selfless in doing that it's actually not facilitating a really healthy individual that's right Absolutely. A lady who had lost her bearings about who she was in the marriage, in the conflict that she had with her husband, she felt like she was not of value, she wasn't important, and she was considering self-harm. And she got a hold of the Power and Control book. It helped her get a perspective that she wasn't crazy and she ended up getting a divorce and she's alive and well and mm-hmm. flourishing today. Yeah. That to be just that that's the cream of the crop. It has to do with that. Who are you? Do you, are you actually who you think you are? Are you, you who you want to be? Right. Or are you what somebody else tells you you are? And that is what I captured from your step six in your trauma recovery guide was affirming your identity that just because you had this traumatic experience at some point, And I think at some point here, we really should just, you know, unpack that word trauma because it means different things to people. But just yeah. because you have um, affirmed your identity in a way that was defined around what your trauma experience was it doesn't mean that it's you and uh, so then the process of uncovering who you are that's that is a long process at least in my experience but who you think you are and who you decide you actually feel like this is the core of who I am to learn how to identify that but also continuously affirm that so it becomes rooted in you That's, that's the story that's the journey yeah, and you know that uh, high, healthy highway that I've got in the last six, the sixth step there? I've used that over the years in counseling. And that has been one of the most reflected on and appreciated models that, that uh, people have picked up from the counseling. And the reason is, is because it gives a framework to understand life and who I am. 
and what I've decided to do. Would you share it with everybody so that we have a clear picture of what you're talking about? The, the highway is, is the healthy highway. Whatever you're thinking is the healthy highway, understanding that there's people going this way and people going the other way. And I keep saying in my elevator speech on that, don't go down to the center line thinking you're perfect because you're going to meet somebody else and crash into them thinking they're perfect coming down yeah, that's the good. way on the center <laughs> line. <laughs> but in life, we typically think of bad is at one end and good is at the other end of bad. And that's not the way it is. There are ditches on both sides of the highway. There's uh, the, the unhealthy world uh, is, is there's ditches that come in different forms and different shapes. So that's why two ditches, farmer's fields, people don't like, farmers don't like people traveling, <laughs> making ruts in their field. So don't drive there. So when you think of a healthy highway, you actually have developed over the years the criteria that you believe keeps you on a healthy highway. Mm -hmm. You might feel yourself going towards the shoulder or into the ditch a bit, and you recorrect to try and adjust either your own belief or your understanding of life to try and get back up onto the highway and travel and get someplace in your life. But that criteria that you've developed over the years is strongly, strongly influenced by your pronounced experiences in your life, particularly the earlier you have them pronounced experiences, the more powerful they are because they're actually filling up the compartments and starting to develop the pathways and neural pathways in your brain mm -hmm. that are vacant spaces ready to be developed when you're young, right? And you're starting to develop those, those key events. Trauma ones particularly are crucial. Um, help define and help end up developing that part of your brain. So that becomes how you view life, how you view yourself. It becomes your criteria for the pathway. And these six, six steps takes, takes you from identifying a current trauma, understanding the themes behind it, where those originate from, the beliefs that were developed from those, and then the sixth step, like you say, was actually helping you affirm who you are, who you want to be, what you believe this highway needs to be without that very powerful events that have happened in your past. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll use one that I've used before and it's from my counseling world, but, and it's a bit very poignant one. It's more for advanced discussions on this, but, Let's take somebody who's been sexually abused as a youngster, sexually abused. And the one common thing that comes out of sexual abuse, especially for those that are preteen before they've got their, you know, that part of their brain developed in their teenage years, 
believes that somehow, and even the way the abuser does it, believes that they're at fault, the victim is at fault, the one who's been abused is at fault. And that implies I'm at fault for everything that goes bad on my way through life. That's not true. And the life-giving message for those individuals through counseling as we look to help help them understand and re uh, reframe their their belief system, right? Is that this was not your fault. It's not even 10% of your fault. It's 0% of your fault. It's a hundred percent of the fault of the of the abuser. And so uh, when that realization takes place, that criteria changes and the healthy highway becomes more healthy for the individual. And that Uh, specific person has been carrying this message that's untrue into that, you know, that family, into her world, into obviously into her family. And then she's engaging every relationship in that way. Absolutely. Uh, The glasses that they wear, and I, I call them the power and control glasses, the two lenses that people wear, is that I'm powerless and everybody else is more powerful than me, and therefore they define me, who mm-hmm. I am. Going back to the, the issue that you talk about where, where they have boundaries, so many of the ways in which they set up boundaries, when you're so influenced by those early events, the way you set up the boundaries is, has a bias towards you always being the, the one that's booted around that's told what to do, that's, that my kids must be far more important than me. I think of a kid that grows up with that idea is like, and I'm going to differentiate between men and women here, and I describe why I do that in my power and control book, so without a long thesis about that, basically, males have so much privilege in our world right from the get-go, in terms of power. It's not about knocking their power down. It's about how they use their power that's important. And and uh, women need to be empowered and using their power for good as well. A kid is raised to believe that they are uh, the, the most important person in the world. When that trend started, I'm old enough to remember when it started. (laughs) I have told many individuals, be careful how far you take that, because you could be creating those that are um, the narcissistic mindset, right? Where they're the all-being person, and that if... uh, if there isn't balance to help understand that I am a part of a large group of people that are called humans, I'm a part of that, then this cockiness starts to get inbred inside of the person where the criteria on their defined healthy highway is really somewhat of a ditch thinking. And so uh, uh, I think that 
I think that those those boundaries, as they're being set, need to have that clarity of balance between what is healthy for the kids to really pick up on. Because they don't pick up on your words so much as they pick up on what you do. Those are the criterias that are developing their framework and their mindset for the rest of their lives. So the thing I didn't know as a homeschool mom, or frankly, as a parent, that I didn't know when I was signing up for parenting, that it was more about an internal work for me to actually have to figure out the stuff that I didn't know that I hadn't figured out when I signed up for that. Just all sorts of different things. What you're talking about right now speaks to me of a bigger discussion on a word called self-differentiation about becoming your own or being aware that you are your own self, that you are a separate person. And yeah, that, that opens a can of worms, that discussion. What do you think? You bet. Um, it's, it's an important enough uh, discussion that when I was asked to develop a counseling program for elementary schools in Manitoba that I said, I won't, I won't involve myself in doing that unless I have access to the parents Mm. and I will have, I have to have freedom to go into their home. I have to see what their home life is like, what their parents are like, what their parents are like with their kids. And then I can help the kids. Why? Because I'm helping the parents. It's just, you look at the power differential between kids and parents. I'll tell you, the parents' life, lifestyle, who they are, how they think of themselves, is is the most powerful teacher. And so when parents say, I would like you to counsel my kid, I say, well, I won't counsel them without having interaction with you. Because I can actually counsel them by counseling you. Right. You get it? <laughs> yes. I think I read that about, um, or in the book, The Road Not Taken. Is that the right one? That could be, yeah. Speaking exactly about that. And I have been there. I've experienced that that scenario as well, as well where I realized um, this, anytime there is a challenge with a child, it is most definitely a system challenge. But you as, um, you as a mom or as a dad, but I'm speaking mostly to moms, we do come into this homeschool thing thinking we're going to do all the things for our kids. We're going to figure it out and we're going to make sure that they have everything that they need and then realize, hey, wait, I have an identity outside of this. I'm not even, uh, one day I won't be a homeschool mom. One day I won't even be a mom. Well, not a very active one anyways, as much as I am now, but I won't be, you know, full-time mom anymore. So then who am I outside of that? And to, to figure that out while you're parenting, because I certainly didn't come into parenting aware of who I was. I mean, I remember I sitting in your counseling office and you offered me honey toast and I associate honey toast with you. And, and I didn't even know if I liked that. Like I didn't, I couldn't have given you a list of the 20 things I like to watch on TV or the books I like to read, or I didn't have a sense of my own separate sense of self. And you combine that with, obviously, the reason for that is because of trauma. And then I come into this very saturated parenting role. And um, and then I'm actually reparenting at the same time I'm parenting my kids and still am, by the way. 
Um, and I don't actually think that process actually probably is ever going to disappear. Although I really like the last um, aspect of your, your trauma, no more book about you can be released from this. The trauma doesn't have to stay with you your entire life. You don't have to define your experience as a grown up in the same way that you did as a child. Yeah, and I think you've used a very operative word that is very confusing to people. Okay. And that is, you use the word, I came into parenting not knowing what to do. But I think I know you well enough now to know that you are putting a focus on what you be so much more so than who you, what you do. So doobie, doobie, doobie thing is very important to differentiate between. <laughs> okay, tell me more. This is just going to turn into free therapy for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, I have a little, I have a little, uh, a little magnet sticker <laughs> that I use to illustrate uh, Nike or whatever, however you pronounce his name. Um, to do is to be, yes. To do is to be. And Kat says, to be is to do. And Sinatra says, dooby, dooby, dooby. Dooby, A little joke. But the point is, is there is a, there are people who approach life is that if I do this and do this and do this, then I will have fulfilled my mission. I will have accomplished what I should be doing in life. Only to be frustrated with the fact that I do this and this and this, which was explained to me as a good thing to do, and it hasn't accomplished because people have taken my dues. They, they've mixed it up and, and done differently. They've been reactive against it. They've protested against it and all my doing is for not now realizing that you can do this you can do that you can do the other thing but it's what you be that actually is the most powerful message and I think Teresa that's where your life and your uh, understanding and world has really been so useful even in your work because as as I hear uh, concerning your homeschooling uh, efforts and working with uh, the mums, right? I have my, <laughs> I have your website up here, um, and that is because you pay attention to who you be, not just what you do. Yeah, people have told me in this COVID year, you know, please tell us how to make uh, what to do during this COVID year to make your way through it make our way through it. And there are a whole bunch of do's that are helpful, but you can do all of those. Yes. Still be traumatized beyond your ability to cope with it because you can't this, be. because the being you, yeah. there hasn't been enough developing of the being you to absolutely set you down like that high, that highway, knowing that, this is who I am. Come hell or high water, this is who I am. Yes. You can say what you want, but this is who I am. Right. A very stabilizing point of a person's life and uh, knowing who you are. 
Because I think this year has been, um, I mean, depends on how people define it, but people have often experienced many traumas or very large traumas in this year. And for different reasons, we all have different stories, but it has definitely been a shake me up kind of year. Um, You know, I just want to stop right here and just say that we really didn't unpack that word trauma. And I think we should really do that. Let's do it. It definitely pertains to what I'm just talking about. In this year, there's many traumas, there's big traumas, and there's a whole bunch of trauma that is entirely outside of COVID. Let's do it. And I think what we've talked about so far gives a context in in order for people to understand what I'm talking about when I talk about trauma. So I think the order of things has been useful here. Now, we're talking about emotional uh, trauma. We're not talking about like a doctor sees in the trauma, blunt force trauma to the to the yeah. arm that's broken, okay? So we're talking about emotional trauma. And over my years of being a trauma specialist going on site to hear trauma stories and hearing thousands of those stories, the one thing that I hear is that this trauma has traumatized me And the very same event has not traumatized you. Yeah. Why? Both experience pretty much the same incident. Some that are even right at the forefront of it and saw it happen are traumatized differently. What's different with trauma? And I have discovered and understood and basis for why I even published the book was to help people understand what trauma is at its core. And that is that who people are, how they think, their criteria for life has determined what they expect to happen in life based on what they do and how they are. And when something so extreme happens beyond what they think and they expect to happen the unexpected the distance between what they expect to happen and what actually happens that distance the bigger it is the worse it is but that's your trauma factor that's your degree of trauma it's a simple definition but it helps underscore that differentiation between a traumatic experience and one that like that is part and parcel of what I do. So trauma is really the meaning that we ascribe to an event and also the difference between how we expected things would actually play out in that moment and how they didn't. You've you nailed it, okay? You, you've hit it on the head, Teresa. Because... Trauma has to do with how I think it should be. And when I have not been well enough prepared to understand what it's going to do to me, it is so personally attached that you really don't understand a person's reason for trauma until you understand the personal attachment that they've got to that trauma. So their degree of trauma is very dependent on how they have understood what normal is, what's expected, 
And there is always in, in my hundreds of on-site trauma debriefings that I've done with paramedics and with, with uh, front first liners and mums and dads and uh, run over their kids and industry killing their, you know, all those kind of very traumatic events. Some are getting through it fine and others are absolutely devastated. And the core issue has to do with, I, for example, I believed that I could live my life to never hurt a single person. Right. And now I've killed them. Right. So the surprise that it's beyond their expectation, I have, and I'm going to relate it to homeschooling, I have I have poured my heart and soul and prepared my head for doing this uh, homeschooling thing, that this is the best possible. I believe as, my, as a homeschooler, although the effort I am putting into it, my priority for my kids, exposing them to uh, as, as much as I can give to them as a homeschooler, and then I find out that they were upset with me for homeschooling them all their life. Yes. What? And maybe this doesn't happen anymore. But <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, absolutely. It does. Okay. Yeah. And that is, it is, it is so personally attached. That comment can be the trauma that they, a homeschooler hears in their, when their kid's 18 and finally out of the home, out of the nest. So trauma is very, very attached to your personal perspective on life and what you expect. And if it's beyond your expectation, significantly so, it is a trauma factor. So that creates an identity, or we create an identity based based on that trauma, and then we engage our entire lives based on that trauma, which obviously is satisfying. That's right. Just like... Uh, I've known an individual who, when they're they've had a breakup, you know, they're uh, they they've they've uh, broken up with a, a number of relationships, just can't seem to keep a relationship. And the mom says, "Well, unless you keep your house clean, you'll never get a relationship." That comment put this person on a mission to have the most immaculately clean house and still she didn't get relationships. I mean, get another student, reason to have a clean house and I'm still not measuring up. <laughs> oh, Lordy, Lordy. You know, I mean, so the words are that we say are powerful. Yeah. And the things that give them power is how they are interpreted. That mom never intended that that gal had to clean up, keep her house spotless in order to get a relationship. That mom intended by saying that to say, you don't care about yourself. You don't care about your environment. You're, you're not paying attention to, you know, cleanliness, personal land around the house. Clean it up, you know, be responsible, take ownership to your own, your own life and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. or else you'll never get a relationship. That's what the mom was meaning 
But you see, the daughter was all primed to hear it in the way they have their highway criteria set up. <laughs> okay, so, you know, you'd have or, uh, six different steps to deal with traumas, and it's really accessible. This guide is very accessible for people to be able to apply for themselves. The first one is choose to act. The second is describe your trauma. Third is identify your theme. The fourth is expose the source and interpret, uh, or the source and the impact, yeah. pardon me. Um, the fifth is reinterpret your beliefs. And six is affirm your identity. Now, this, there's so many different traumas that people could be experiencing to process through that. But that I see as a very tiny guide for a very l big life journey, because that is the application across the spectrum, right? Can I quote you on that? Because I've been trying yeah. to get a word for that. For oh, yeah, time. I got it. For sure. <laughs> I will write that down later for you. Right but on. it is it is a reality of our experiences if we are being self-aware if we are going down deep and actually trying to figure out who we are how we've experienced life um and like you said really just trying to be in a peaceful place if we're doing that then we're going to have a lot of work to do and i don't think um we have to think of it as like you said in a do way that we need to do the work so we have it all done so we do everything right because that's just yes go crazy have fun yeah. but that's not going to happen you're not going to get to that place where now it's complete in fact so many different ways to approach this conversation because this right here we could go in so many different discussions in homeschooling Certainly the one that you talked about with, um, you know, actually engaging in relationship with your children and how do you engage those challenges like the one that you just presented, because I know myself as a mom, there have been many times where I'm like, okay, now I really have screwed it all up. And there have been, um, there's one moment in time in the last number of months that someone had said to me, what do I do? I think I'm screwing this all up. And it really sticks in my brain. This is such a lovely mom. She cares so much about her, her children. And this one moment or this one child has got her really stuck. And so then she's like, that's it. It's horrible. It's going to be horrible forever. How do you incorporate perhaps some of this, um, this book or this guide into that scenario or into that kind of relationship? Excellent question. And I would like to answer it this way, and you can ask further if you want, okay, yeah. for whatever our time limit is here. But uh, I, I'm going to use the caregiver guide, okay, or the caregiver example in that uh, highway, okay, the healthy highway. Yeah. If you think of, um, I don't know how to verbally describe it without visually seeing it, but you can you can describe it. If you take if you take this kind of a, a loop as being what I can give into the relationship, what I put in best into the relationship, what I believe, what I understand life to be. And this is what somebody else produces uh, or gives in their relationship. The football that is the common ground in there is the part that we have compatibility in, we have understanding, we have a sense of uh, uh, value and who we are, and we share that in a mutual relationship in that football. Fair enough? Okay. Now, 
let's take you and me. There's your loop. Here's my loop. And we've got a big football that we can play with because we've got a lot of things in common of understanding, et cetera, et cetera. But let's take, and let's say you're a homeschooler, can I? Yep, because I am. And let's say that you have a, a child that's doing some ditch thinking and ditch living. And their hoop is in the ditch primarily. They've got some things that are on the highway common, but their primary thing is in the ditch. And you're concerned about them. So as a caregiver, as a caring parent, you extend your hoop into some dysfunctional stuff in the ditch that you're not happy with, but you're doing it for them to try and get a football that's just enough to be able to help them move back to a healthy highway. You get it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, How come they don't move back? They are in the ditch where they believe is the healthy highway. That's their definition of healthy highway. So it's on the criteria that's different. That mm-hmm. keeps them right. operating in what you believe is the ditch. Right. But by you going off your healthy highway, you're going back on your word as to what your example is for healthiness to try and reach them. And they see that as you not sticking to your guns. So you were you, right at that point, you were saying that I'm on the healthy highway. The child's not on the healthy highway. And so you are really doing something that they're not even expecting you to do. You're actually putting your efforts in a way that are no longer healthy for you. When you go into the ditch and do some ditch type stuff with them just to, just to uh, connect with them and to hopefully that'll draw them to a healthier way of highway. They actually see you as not being consistent with your belief system and that who you be becomes more pronounced than what you do. And so what is better, I believe, is for you to stick with your healthy highway, to to not be so bullheaded that you're not willing to consider other changes in your life, okay? Mm -hmm. Of course. But like you, like I have said on page 76, develop your list. Here's my healthy components. These are the things I've established. These are the things I'm changing. These are the things I desire to change. And though there are some things that I'm considering that might be an option. In other words, still be growing, still be developing, right? Not a stick in the mud. But you don't need to go out and just be like them just to try and connect with them because, you know, uh, they have their belief about what healthy is. So be curious about with them. You can sit and be curious and ask the questions and, and get them to talk uh, about how they see things without that coming down and judgment on them. Well, that's no good. They get one sentence out and then you're jumping on them. Boy, you won't hear them at their core until you sit and shut up for a while. Because of the goal. Old words, but the goal. 
is for us to understand each other. Like ultimately in relationship, that's the goal is to understand the be in another person and to be yeah. understood in the be in us. Exactly. Remember your first question or third question isn't what they're waiting for. They're waiting for you. Th those questions determine whether they trust you with telling you what they actually believe. So develop the trust without the judgment. And that, particularly with older kids, uh, teenagers, for example, they're making that transition to the world that they're going to be facing without you anyhow. So why don't you uh, listen to them, listen to them deeply and um, better to know what their thinking is than to impose such a high priority of dominance that, that you keep them subjected right until they are finished their home life and then they go like this and they're totally on their own without any guidance from anybody sensible <laughs> so they're friends only <laughs> you, know? you have so much to share with our audience i would love to have you back and chat about uh, really about maybe 12 things that i can think of that we need to talk more about but um you have two, you have two very significant resources for families to both dip into the world for themselves to do some more of the work that we need to do for ourselves because we have just like you said more is caught than taught really and it is our be that they see not the do that we do should i should i write that down <laughs> anyways I'll, and that that is the um that's the essence of parenting although i'll tell you i have not got that licked so um your your books though have such a big impact on all of that and in our relationships your first book as well and how they influence us in our families would you share with us both where you're online and where we can find your books the names of your books uh, just to keep it simple if you if you don't mind i'll just direct people to my website yeah. which talks about each of the books and is the place that any other writing that I do will, will be there. And that's simply uh, normquants.com. So N-O-R-M-Q-U-A-N-T-Z.com. Have a look at your options and uh, you can buy both of those books using the links that are in there. So. so to close our interview, I have three questions to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. One what have you learned alongside your grandkids or what have you learned this week or created a memory with your grandkids this week? Um, what have I learned is that my advice is useful only when they're ready to hear it. Good stop. <laughs> Good piece. Uh, answering of one question. Yes, my second is, what's on your bookshelf? On my bookshelf is a book that, in terms of issues regarding racism and stuff, which is a hot topic right now. We have a, a black cowboy that uh, grew up in Alberta, but this book is, is very, very useful in getting acquainted with, with the kind of black influence in our province. That uh, is a beautiful cover. Yeah, it's called Howdy, I'm John Ware, and written by uh, Aisha Clow. 
A-Y-E-S-H-A-C-L-O-U-G-H. Anyhow, very wonderful. A book by called Trauma and Recovery. It's an older, it's, it's a book back in, published back in uh, 1992 originally. So it's even 20, almost 20 years older than my power and control one. But it's, but it's sort of a, uh, written by Judith Herman, MD. Uh, she actually has a lot of the understanding of abuse and the trauma from abuse that I was part of understanding and grabbing a hold of trying to treat people in when the books on trauma through sexual abuse and physical abuse and stuff started to come out in the mid eighties that I, that I had gotten acquainted with and understood. And she has a lot of that still in her book. Mm. It's been advanced from there. And I think there's a greater understanding. I think the power and control book really helps enhance that understanding better but uh, that's a book that I've just finished reading. What is your vision word for your life right now? I often use these words. I write it every single day. Sometimes I write it without even thinking, but I'm always trying to go back to, okay, what am I, what am, like, what am, what is my be? What is at core the reason I'm here? What is your vision word? If I would put it to a word or maybe just a phrase, if I could, where I'm at in life right now, it has to do with, enjoying the presence of people rather than trying to fix them. So much of my life has been, and, and the ripple effect into my family and how the burden that they carry with that as well. I see the anxiety in them increasing when I'm going on a trauma call. Um, you know, that, that has been a, such an integral part of our, 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 uh, my culture and our family that has been my responsibility, uh, that, that I am, I am really working towards this idea of, uh, enjoying the presence of, of people, uh, without trying to gear up for counseling, without gearing up my head for trying to help them in some way. I may be some, I'm, I, I wait for invitations for being involved rather than me organizing things where I am involved. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a, a, a standard phase of my life right now. So that's very I told my wife the other day, I says, if I don't, if I die before I'm a hundred years old, I'm going to feel ripped off because I've got so many exciting things that I want to have happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure and an honor to share this time with you and to be with you so thank you and my pleasure as well Teresa like I said to you in the email it's a great privilege to feel like Teresa the (laughs) (laughs) t-bird yeah that's what they call me (laughs) would uh would be willing to reach out to me and glean something that could be of help to your homeschoolers so I wish you all the best and of course, I'd be glad to accommodate anything future that you want me involved with. Thank you. And thank you for joining me today. I would love to learn more about who you are, 
So come on over to the Homeschool Mama support group on Facebook or the Homeschool Mama self-care Instagram page so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out the book of homeschool encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for extra support, know that I'm about to release the Homeschool Mama Retreat, and I'm hoping that it will bring that sense of energy and inspiration and encouragement that only a retreat, though virtually, can bring to you. You'll find the show notes and links to everything you've heard today on www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Until next time, I wish you and your kids a charmed week. Unless you're having one of those weeks, then I hope you can turn all your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms.